Well, the word of God that we look at each week, each day, if you're a child of God, you, you come to the word of God. The word of God gives the people of God powerful reasons for hope in his kingdom. Christ came preaching the kingdom of God. And we looked two weeks ago at Peter's exhortation to the people of God to be ready always to give an answer to anyone who asks us about the reason for the hope that is in us. And why should we do that? The answer to that is that they too might seek the Lord, that they too might seek the Lord and find him and share that confident hope of eternal glory, that confident hope of heaven. If this life is all there is, is it not the most miserable? Is it not the most pointless of of all things? But to know Christ is to know life. And as he said, to know abundant life. He came that they might have life. His people might have life and have it more abundantly. Now, last week, we were thinking about seeking the Lord and we looked at Malachi chapter 3 and verse 1. The Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in, says the Lord of hosts. Well, this week, I want to look at two who were seeking the Lord. They were anticipating the Lord to come to his temple. The Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple. My prayer with this message for anybody hearing it and anywhere it might go. As we look at these two people, God's spirit will enlighten. That's what it says in verse 32. A light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. There are a couple of articles in the bulletin about the light of God, which shines supremely and only truly in the Lord Jesus Christ. That that light of God will enlighten the spiritual sight of any coming to him with eternal truth and everlasting life. This is what we're talking about. It's life. So follow with me and ask God, humbly, ask God to illuminate your soul with divine light. Maybe you know people that know Christ and relish the blessedness and the bliss of knowing Christ, of having a hope of eternity, but No, it's not for you. You just can't get there. It doesn't quite work for you. Oh, ask God as you listen along. Lord, illuminate my soul with the divine light that you have shined into the souls of others. Now, of course, there's a Christmas background to this, and this passage is familiar uh, at this time of year. Tomorrow is what the Western world, the world of Christendom, calls Christmas Day. And we know, to be honest, to be truthful, It has become, what it is, is truly a pagan festival. I mean, for one thing, we've no idea truly when the Lord Jesus Christ came into the world. Was it it, it, what we call the 25th of December, Christmas Day? Almost certainly not. I I, I don't know when it is, but uh, it's a pagan festival. It's something that's been adapted from pagan religion for the darkest days of winter in the Northern Hemisphere. Uh, Fundamentally... Christendom, you know, as we saw in Revelation, is not Christian. Christendom truly is Antichrist. It's the woman of Revelation 17. It's religious, godless, material excess, isn't it? Everywhere we look. It's a jamboree of blasphemous irreverence. That's what it is. Let's be in no doubt about that. 
there's only one good thing to say about it, and that's that it brings families and friends together. And if it does just that, well, okay, good. It encourages friendliness. It encourages a helpful spirit. It encourages acts of charity. It encourages cheer in dark, cold days. But perhaps some who haven't thought before, perhaps some will be prompted to think more deeply. But all good feeling, you know, even the best of the feeling, is easily distorted by sin. And isn't it full of sin and greed and self? So this isn't a Christmas message as such. Nevertheless, some might be thinking of God coming into the world at this time of year, if no other time of year. An expectation of Messiah. That's my first point, an expectation of Messiah. 2,000 years ago, in the land of Israel, around Jerusalem, Judah, Galilee, all that area, uh, invaded by the Romans and under the yoke of the Roman Empire, but nevertheless, people who knew their scriptures were there. And many, many of the people expected God's promised Messiah to appear. For God had promised that the Messiah would come. The Christ would come. They're the same word, but just in different languages. The Messiah and the Christ. What it means is God in human flesh. God incarnate. God become man. That God would come into history for what reason? For one reason only. To redeem his people from the curse of the law. From the curse of sin. His people who would populate his kingdom in triumph, his people who would be qualified to be there as sinless and holy, as holy as God is holy, that they would be redeemed from the curse of sin which is on every single one of them by God himself becoming man to do that which God as spirit cannot do. God as spirit cannot die to redeem people, but God becoming man in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, fully man, Son of Mary, Son of God, full of, uh, full of grace and truth. He, as a man, as a spotless Passover lamb, Christ our Passover, as a spotless lamb, he can bear the sins of his people as a man. And as a man loaded with the sins of his people, he can pay its debt. He can pay its debt so that there is no more debt to pay. So that when the judgment books are opened and the sins of his people whom he bore on Calvary are looked for, they're not there because according to the legal record, they're taken away in him. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is Christ that has died. This is the blessed gospel of grace. Now, 2,000 years ago in Israel, the land of Israel, many expected God's promised Messiah to appear. The scriptures had prophesied it. The religious leaders asked John the Baptist. You know, John, the, the ministry of Jesus was begun with John the Baptist, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. And the people had flocked from Jerusalem out to John the Baptist in the wilderness to hear his preaching of the kingdom of God, the preaching of repentance from sin. And he was baptizing them symbolically, a heart desire to wash away the sins that separated them from God. And the religious leaders went out and said, is this the Christ? Why did they do that? Because the scriptures had told them that about now, 2,000 years ago, 
the Messiah would appear. Daniel's prophecy uh, said that it would be about now. Uh, All sorts of other scriptures said it would be about that time. And the religious leaders asked John the Baptist, are you the Messiah? No, he said, I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the Christ. I'm the one who Isaiah talks about preparing the way of the Lord. The Magi had come from the east seeking him. People were seeking the kingdom of God. I know it's later at the end of the life of Jesus, after he was crucified in Mark 15, 43, Joseph of Arimathea, who wanted to give the body of Christ an honourable burial, he asked Pilate, Pontius Pilate, could he have the body so that he could bury it properly? And it says in Mark 15, 43 of Joseph of Arimathea, he was one who waited for the kingdom of God. People were waiting for the kingdom of God. People were looking for God's kingdom. People were looking for a right relationship with God, for peace with God, for acceptance in the beloved who is Christ. People who had heard God's revealed truth expected the Christ, the Messiah, to appear and to establish his kingdom. For many, of course, many like the Pharisees, it was just an academic exercise. But for a few, it was a heart longing. It was the pinnacle of all their hopes. What, their hopes were not in this world like everybody seems to be in this day. What, where can we go? What can we do? What thrills, what pleasures can we have? No, people longed. There were people who longed for the kingdom of God, for peace with God for the righteousness of God. It was the pinnacle of all their hopes. They loved not the world, they were looking for Christ. Their confidence of heavenly bliss rested in him coming because God would fulfill his promise to redeem his people from the curse of the law. Where does it say that? Throughout the scriptures. These are they, said Jesus, which speak of me. As a man he came, dying to pay the sin debt of his people. In that are his people made the righteousness of God in him. There was an expectation of Messiah. Now let's look at two people who were expecting Messiah to come and translate it forward to our day. I know he's come, but he's coming again. But, you know, he comes in the hearts of each one of his people at his own time by Holy Spirit regeneration. If you don't know him, I pray that something of this, something of these accounts will move in your heart by the Holy Spirit that you might seek and look for Christ. Look in Luke chapter 2 verse 25. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. The same man was just and devout. He was just and devout. He was, he was, it's not because he himself was a holy man, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The scripture's not wrong when it says that, even about Simeon's. It's not wrong. All, you know, the, the pinnacle of man in his relationship with God. Enoch walked with God and was taken and was, but Enoch was still a sinner who needed to be redeemed. Job, have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him. But Job was a sinner, for he justified himself in his own self-righteousness until he saw the Lord in all of his glory. But this was a justified man who was dedicated to the knowledge and service of God. 
a devout man. That's what it means. He was dedicated to the knowledge and service of God. He, he must find God. He must know that he's in a right relationship with God. He must have the answer to Job's question. How should a man be just with God? And he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. That is a term which applies to the coming of the Messiah. He was waiting for the Lord's Messiah to be revealed. The Greek word there is paraklesin. Paracle he was waiting for the paraklesin, which is the consolation, which is the comfort. It's, it also means a calling or a summons or an exhortation. It's not only comfort in salvation, but that God would accomplish uh, his, his call. God, God would call his people to seek and to know him. That's what it means. It's the waiting for the comfort of the coming of the Messiah whom he would call to himself. As Jesus quoted in Nazareth, a couple of pages on, in Luke chapter 4 and verse 18, Luke chapter 4 and verse 18 and 19. Jesus went fully grown now. This is, this is 30 years later from the time of Simeon. And he goes back to Nazareth, to the synagogue where he grew up. And the, he, he's, they, they gave him the book of Isaiah and found the place. He found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and sat down. Do you know what he was doing? He was quoting Isaiah 61, the first three verses. The Spirit of the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord hath not, this is written 700 odd years before Christ came, and by the prophet, uh, his, his um, anointing by the Holy Spirit, he gave him the words that Christ would speak in the, in, in the synagogue at Nazareth. Because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. To preach that call, that call which contains the comfort of God, the consolation of God. Why cons consolation? Consolation for the forgiveness of sins. I have a sin debt which will condemn me to hell from the presence of the living, holy God. But here's the consolation in this one who would come, who is himself God, that he would come and that he would accomplish salvation. He would accomplish the redemption of his people. And so that's good tidings, isn't it? That's the gospel, which is what good, God, the gospel means. It's good tidings, good news. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. That's comfort, isn't it? To proclaim liberty to the captives. Oh, what joy, what delight in liberty to the captives. Captives to sin. Captives to that that would condemn us to hell. But he has come to comfort. He's the consolation of Israel. And he calls people to himself. The opening of the prison to them that are bound. Come on out, come on out. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. This is the year of the Lord. The year of salvation. The year of release. The, the year of the cancellation of all debt, the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn. To comfort all that mourn. 
This is the consolation of Israel. This is the call from God to his people to come to him, to be comforted, to experience redemption in the soul, to know what it is. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to his cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O oh my soul. To find peace in the promised Christ. Look, it was revealed to him. The Holy Ghost was upon him. Oh, this was the Holy Ghost. Verse 26, and it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. It was revealed to him by the Holy Ghost. Do you know, man in his natural state, and especially religious man, hates this very concept. Man hates this idea that God, in sovereign grace, should reveal to one and not to another. That's what man in his religious pride absolutely hates. It's so unfair. Why would God, if a God would do that, then that God's not worth following is what they say. But you know, the scripture says it is of grace. It is not of him that wills, nor of him that runs, but of God that shows mercy. It is God who opens the eyes of the blind to shine in the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He had the truth revealed to him. Oh, that he might reveal it to you and to me. He was told by God that he would see the Lord's Christ before he died. He's an old man in the temple. He's been devout. He's looking for the right relationship with God all his life. But he's been told by the Holy Spirit that before he died, he would see the promise of the Old Testament fulfilled. He would see the promise of all the scriptures up to Malachi fulfilled. That he would see the Lord whom ye seek suddenly come to his temple. And there he is in the temple in Jerusalem, waiting for the Lord whom he sought to come to that temple. He was told he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And Mary and Joseph brought the infant Jesus Look back at verse 21 of Luke chapter 2. When eight days were accomplished, when Jesus was eight days old, uh, when, when the days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus. Why? Because the angel had said to Matthew, you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. He was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of her, etc., etc., they, they brought him to do that which the law of Moses said, that which was the right which was given to Abraham. And what was he doing? Here is God contracted to a span, submitting to this act of circumcision, of fleshly mutilation. He's saying he's one with the promised seed of Abraham. It says in Hebrews, he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed, not of Adam, but of Abraham. Why Abraham? Because Abraham had the faith of God's elect. And we read in Galatians that all who have that same faith of God's elect are the children of Abraham. The Jews are not the children of Abraham. Those that are of faith are the children of Abraham. Those that are of faith, like Abraham's faith, are the true Israel of God. Not those who can 
if anybody can these days, and I don't believe anybody can, trace their ancestry back through to Abraham. And he submitted to circumcision. Why did he submit to circumcision? You know, it tells us in Galatians chapter 5, verse 2, that if you are circumcised, which is what the Judaizers were trying to tell the Galatian Christians that they must be to be right with God, he said, if you're circumcised, if you submit to this one element of the Mosaic law, then you're a debtor to the whole law and Christ will profit you nothing. But he, Jesus, God contracted to a span, submitted to this rite of circumcision and became a debtor to the whole law. So that when Galatians chapter 4 verse 4 says, when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law. There you are. He submitted himself to the entire law, made under the law. Why? To redeem, to pay the recovery price, to pay the buyback price of his people, to redeem those that are under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And so then uh, he, he comes into the temple. And verse 27, uh, the Spirit of God prompted Simeon to go into the temple just at the time when Mary and Joseph brought in the eight-day-old Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law. The Spirit prompted him to be there at that very time. One of the articles I've put in the bulletin is this little piece by Henry Mahan. I just want to read this now. It won't take a minute. The Word was made flesh. Here they are. They come in with this little eight-day-old baby. Eight days old. Henry says this. My friends, if you will carefully consider it, this is the most extraordinary fact ever declared in human language. God became a man and took upon him the likeness of sinful flesh. He looked like any other man, in other words. The ancient of days became an infant of days. The son of the Most High God became a man of sorrows. He made the world, but as a man, he had no place to lay his head in this world which he made. He who made rivers asked a woman at the Samaritan well to give him a drink of water. He who cast out devils was tempted of the devil. And the author of life, the author of life, the author of life died and lay in a tomb. Is that not mo the most amazing fact? Think on that. Think about it. Pray about it. What amazing condescension of the eternal God, driven by sovereign electing love. Verse 28. Then he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, and we'll come to that in a minute, I'm sure most of you have held a tiny baby, eight days old, something like that, a tiny baby. I'm not talking about one that's starting to, uh, uh, you know, interact with, absolutely helpless, tiny little thing. Here, Simeon, an old man ready to die, ready to go to meet God, ready to take his heavenly place, this old man holds his God. God contracted to a span. 
He holds his God in his arms. The God who made the very arms that held the baby was in his arms. And the Spirit of God had assured him that God had kept his promise. Here was his Messiah. Here was the Lamb of God, the Passover Lamb, come to pay the sins of his people, come to pay his sin debt, to make him the righteousness of God. Now, he says, now I can depart in peace. Lord, now let us thy servant depart in peace according to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation. He's no longer fearful. You know, there is a fear of death in all of us. Hebrews 2 verse 15, to deliver, Christ came to deliver those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. And what does the world do about this? It buries its head in the sand. It, it gets drunk. It goes and does the most stupid things. It lives as if there is no tomorrow. But all the time there is that appointment, which is appointed to man to die once and then the judgment. And through fear of death, all their lives, they're subject to bondage. But Christ came to deliver his people from that fear of death. And so now, Simeon, having held his God in his arms, his Messiah, the Lamb of God in his arms, he says, Lord, now let us thy servant depart in peace, according to thy word. To depart without any anxiety. To depart without any fear. Robert Hawker says of this verse, he says, how strong was the faith of the Old Testament saints. He was an Old Testament saint. Christ came just as he was dying. How strong was the faith of Old Testament saints. They had no fear of death when once they had seen Christ. Have you seen Christ? Have you seen Christ in all of his saving grace, in all of his glory? Then the fear of death will depart from you. Because he came to deliver those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. He says why he can depart in peace in verse 30. Mine eyes have seen thy salvation. Mine eyes have seen the one through whom you will take away my sins, that I will be right for all eternity. And like everyone in Hebrews 11, the faith gallery, Satan's evil kingdom could do what it would to them. By faith, by the sight of the soul, by that gift of God, they had seen God in Christ accomplished their redemption from sin's curse and that guaranteed their eternal security. They didn't fear what man could do to them because they knew him who had redeemed them from the law's curse. And verse 32, a light to lighten the... Here he is, this light to lighten the Gentiles. You see in the articles I've put in the bulletin about this light supremely being seen in the Lord Jesus Christ. A light to lighten the Gentiles, because by nature were darkness. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light because Christ has come. So quickly, I want to go on. Anna, Anna, in verse 36, look down in verse 36. There was one Anna, at the same time, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asa. She was of a great age, and had lived with an husband seven years from her virginity. So she was married very young, but seven years later, I mean, it would have been customary for her probably to be married about 15 or 16, something like that. And she'd lived with this husband for seven years, so she was 23 and he died. 
And she'd then been an, a widow for four score and four years, for 84 years. I know you can read these numbers different ways, but let's say it was like that. She's well over 100 now. And she departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. She was very old then, greater than 100. Another one, like Simeon, who was dedicated to the knowledge and service of God. She was looking and waiting patiently for the promised saviour to appear. She departed not from the temple, but she served God with fastings and prayers night and day. So she was devoted to the knowledge and service of God. And she saw Simeon. She came in and she saw Simeon and Mary and Joseph and the baby. And she gave thanks to the Lord. She coming in, verse 38, she coming in that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Thanks to the Lord because now she could see by Holy Spirit enlightenment. Now is the promise fulfilled. The Lord whom I've been seeking along with other faithful saints has surely come to his temple. Not just the temple which was that pile of stones in Jerusalem, that second temple which didn't have the glory of, so of Solomon's temple, not until Christ himself walked in it when it had that glory, but he came to the temple of his own body. Destroy this temple and I'll raise it up in three days, he said in John's Gospel, and they couldn't understand him, but he spoke of the temple of his body. The Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come to his temple. He'll come to the body of his temple, the body which the Lord has prepared for him, in which he will accomplish redemption. And this is all revealed by the Holy Spirit to them. Years of patient waiting on the Lord has been rewarded with the experience of the promise being fulfilled. Faithfully, according to the scriptures, Psalm 27, verse 14, wait on the Lord, they waited. Psalm 37, verse 7, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. They rested and they waited. One day, like we wait for the second coming of Christ. When is he coming? He's never coming. He hasn't come so far. So why on earth would he come now? Patiently wait. Patiently wait. Psalm 37, verse 34, wait on the Lord and keep his way. Wait patiently. Wait upon the Lord. He will do it. He will do it. Wait on the Lord. Isaiah 40 verse 31. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up as eagles' wings. You know that means they'll be given faith to stay faithful. Lamentations chapter 3 verse 25. The Lord is good to them that wait for him, to the soul that seeketh him. The Lord is good. Wait for him. Seek him. The Lord is good to them that wait for him. The promise is realized. There, Simeon and Anna have seen and they give thanks to God from the heart. And it says, she spake of him. She spake of this baby as the Messiah. The baby I have seen in the temple is the very one that fulfills Malachi chapter 3 verse 1. I have seen the baby in the temple that is God fulfilling his promise. The Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple. This is God, our Redeemer, because in him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily, as Paul said. This is infinite God made man. I quote it so often what the hymn writers say. Our God contracted to a span. Sinless man to take his people's sin 
and pay its sin debt so that his people are made the righteousness of God in him. Where did I make that up from? I'll tell you exactly where. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Look it up if you don't believe me. That's what it says. He was made a sinless man. God was made a sinless man. God the Son was made a sinless man in order to take his people's sin and pay its sin debt in full so that the people for whom he paid that debt, the people for whom he died and shed his blood, that those people, you and me, if we believe in him, are made the righteousness of God in him. How should a man be just with God? To be made the righteousness of God in him. Then you'll be right with God. Oh, praise the Lord that we are in him, fitted for heaven, justified, declared just before divine justice, assured of eternal peace and acceptance. To whom did she speak? All them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. That's who she spoke to. All them, there, was a, there were people in Jerusalem. Where would you go to find out about eternity and the truth of God? Many knew it. You would go to Jerusalem because that's where God had revealed himself. All them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. There were people there looking for redemption. There was the Ethiopian eunuch years later in the time of the Acts of the Apostles. Why had he gone? Because he knew the truth of God and eternal life was to be found there in Jerusalem. He'd gone on a pilgrimage there for that reason. Of course, we don't do that now. There's no need for anything physical of that nature now. But then they did. They looked for redemption in Jerusalem. How few look for redemption today. How few feel any need to be redeemed from the curse of the law, of the curse of sin. How few seek peace with God. They shake their fist in the face of God. How few seek peace with God. How few aspire to God's kingdom. Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? How few do this. How few cry with Job, oh, that I knew where I might find him. I would even come before his presence. Do you look for redemption from sin's curse? Do you look for the price to be paid for your liberty, the cap- li- liberty to the captives? Captive to what? Captive to sin. We're in the thrall. We're in the bondage of sin, naturally, in the bondage of Satan. But he came to proclaim release for the captives, redemption from sin's curse, so that you can confidently look for assurance of peace with God, that you can confidently expect acceptance in the beloved. When the Old Testament saints, when they stood outside the temple or the tabernacle in the wilderness wanderings, and the high priest, according to the instructions God had given to Moses, went into the Holy of Holies with the blood of an acceptable sacrifice, but once a year, they knew that if any of them had gone in any other time, they would have been struck dead instantly. When the Ark of the Covenant was being recovered from the Philistines in the days of David, and they'd lost sight of the scriptural instructions, and they placed the Ark of God on a cart, on a new cart towed by oxen, rather than the Levites carrying it, which is what the word said. And the, the, um, I think the roads there must have been similar to the roads around here, full of potholes, and the cart wobbled as it went down a pothole. 
and Uzzah, so sincere and well-meaning, reached out his hand to grab the ark to stop it falling off and God struck him dead because that was how strict, strict, strict was the righteousness and justice of God. Knowing what our God is, a consuming fire, that it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, or to have the peace instead of knowing acceptance in the beloved, of knowing release from the bondage of the fear of death. You know what I said Hebrews says, Hebrews 2, 15, all them, he came to release all them who through fear of death were all their lives subject to bondage, to be released from that. In Christ, the Lord of glory, that's where we're released. He's no longer a helpless babe. He's no longer what the world's religion portrays him as. He was but for a short while the helpless babe of Bethlehem, the helpless babe in his mother's arms. He's Christ the Lord of glory. He's revealed in his word. The light of, the heavenly, uh, the light of heavenly truth shines clearly in him and in nowhere else. If you would find the light of life, that true light which is from God, you will find it in him and him alone. For God who shined light in the darkness at the beginning when he said, let there be light, has shined, says 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, he has shined in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Come to him, believing. You say, oh, it's not so easy, isn't that? If you struggle to come to him believing, but it's what you want to do, take the lesson to heart of that poor man in Mark's Gospel, chapter 9, verse 24. He came to Jesus pleading for his child who was sick. And the Lord said to him, do you believe? And he said, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. Will you pray that prayer to the Lord Jesus Christ? Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. Because if you believe, you will find life. Amen.